Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. We recently lost an icon of the UFO community. Staten Freeman passed away on Monday, May 13th, and with his passing, we have lost one of the most prolific nuts and bolts UFO researchers there has ever been. Stanton Friedman was the driving force who brought Roswell back into the media spotlight. And as we have talked about in recent episodes, he was the leading expert of Majestic 12, bringing forth the famous Majestic 12 documents we see today. We are dedicating this episode to you, Stanton, and we are going to highlight what breakthroughs this alien legend has brought to our community. Stanton started off as a nuclear physicist, working for companies like General Electric and General Motors, and eventually worked for the aerospace manufacturing company McDonnell Douglas. While there, he worked on classified programs on nuclear aircraft, fission and fusion rockets, and a compact nuclear power plant for space applications. But in the 1970s, Stanton left his full-time employment as a physicist to pursue the scientific investigation of UFOs. I think Stanton's very first breakthrough in the UFO community would be going after the whole Roswell topic. And he brought it to the spotlight in a way where people are looking at it under the spectrum of it being a government cover-up. And I think that was the first time where people thought that the government could actually have knowledge of things that they're hiding. He also went into extensive research to track down Jesse Marcel, who was the the intelligence officer at Roswell Airfield. It's his photo that's on the front page of that newspaper. He's the one that came out and said, you know, there's a flying saucer. And then who also had to retract his statement. Stanton was the only UFO researcher to get him on camera before he died to talk about the truth of what happened and was able to capture a statement from him saying that it for sure was not a weather balloon and it was nothing that they had ever seen before. All of the details that we have of the debris itself, the material that all comes from this interview that Stanton was able to gather. And, you know, I think a big part of why he was able to get through to Jesse was because he comes from this very scientific side of researching this community. He just doesn't go out and find, like, random people and, like, listen to their stories. This is a guy who's, like, making tons of requests to the Freedom of Information Act, who wants to get indoubtable proof that UFOs are a real thing. And because he comes from such a science background, he only logically can think about it from a scientific way. So it makes me think that maybe Jesse was more drawn to him because of the way that he approaches it. I can absolutely agree with you on that. And I feel like because Roswell was so significant, I think that it paved the way for other people to then become ufologists. It was a really big story, and it still is today. People are still, you know, stuck on that talking about that. But, you know, the roots of ufology really stems from that story. And I think that he brought it out in a lot of people. I think people saw and read his books of the details that he was talking about, and then it got them interested, and then they became ufologists. You know, and I think the the biggest reason, again, Stanton brought all of these people into the UFO community was because of his scientific background. This is one of the first scientists to step out and be like, hey guys, I believe in UFOs and aliens. 
resilience. Here's why. And to give like actual scientific data and proof. So I think that with him being the first like real scientist who went out there and was like, hey guys, I'm a nuclear physicist. I have this extensive background. You can look up my PhDs or whatever other things that I have. And you can see that like I've been studying things my whole life. So this is not like a joke to me when we're talking about these aliens. So I think that it definitely maybe spearheaded the way for a more serious discussion of UFOs. Absolutely, I would agree. And I think that's why he was the first to pave the way because of that with that huge story with Roswell. Yeah, and then on top of that, he also brings in the whole Majestic 12 thing, which I think is like completely mind-blowing. He was sort of the first person to gather all of this information when they came out with it. Again, because he's such a factual, investigative journalist. He didn't just take their word for it, like, oh, okay, these are some cool documents and, you know, this is huge and, like, run with it. He did extensive research on it. And it's because of these key details that we have. It's all because of Stanton. And we've gone through breakdown by breakdown in our Majestic 12 episode already. But in a nutshell, he was able to find out things and different connections with people that no one else knew. He was able to bring it to people in a way where, no, you can deny this, but because I've gone through and I've spent hours into archives and libraries, and I've, you know, gone through Dr. Menzel's papers in Harvard and found out that he was actually an undercover, like, CIA type of agent with all of these connections to the NSA and whatnot, it was those details and those hours that he put in to find those things out that gives the Majestic 12 papers even more authenticity and to take the papers very seriously. Well, yeah, you know, a big part of the Majestic 12 papers, you know, a lot of people say that, oh, they're not actually government documents and you can tell by the heading and all these things. And Stanton Freeman was the one who went back and was like, no, 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 no. On this weird technicality, if I remember correctly, basically because when he did the Freedom of Information Act, they didn't flat out like deny it and that they took this paper. They didn't necessarily say it was a fake or a real. They didn't really have an answer. And to Stanton, that was like, well, if it was fake, they just would have said it's fake. He he dug deep to make sure that we got the correct answers for things. And I think that he is somebody in this community that maybe not a lot of people have heard of. I would disagree. No, because I think not everyone is as deep into looking into things that me and you are. So I would imagine if we're just talking to any schmuck on the street and we were like, hey, Majestic 12 documents, they're like, oh yeah, I heard about them. I would probably assume that they didn't know who Stanton Freeman is, right? And I would say that a lot of the people who are in this world today, Stanton Freeman paved that path for them to be these researchers that they are today. Even us, when we look at things, you know, as we both know, two sides of the coins over here, I always think of things in a more nuts and bolts kind of way. And I try to approach topics in more of a Stanton way to get as much information as I can. I don't want hearsay. I don't want what this person or that person said. I want documents, facts, and straight from the horse's mouth kind of shit. So I really respect what it is that he does because it definitely shaped the way I research this community. I would agree with you. You know, it's funny, the very first contact in the desert I went to, he was there that year. And I had always seen him on TV and different videos and whatnot that I've watched. But to see him in person, at first I actually got a salty taste in my mouth because he was so stern. But the more that I listened to him talk and then I got respect for it, it's more that he's just a no bullshit kind of guy. To me, at first, hearing him in person, I felt like 
He was very, almost like an arrogant type of like, well, this is the truth, so like deal with it kind of thing. But then I gained a lot of respect for that. He is so smart. He does go into those details. It's all about facts to him. So it's pretty much like, I'm going to put this in your face and this is what it is. And I'm sorry if you can't understand it, but it's the truth. I think the one thing that's important about Stanton is he didn't dumb shit down to explain things to people. If you were not smart enough to understand it, he didn't take that responsibility onto himself to explain it to you. He was like, okay, here's the facts, figure it out. It's this unapologetic way of getting his point across as well. You know, a lot of us, I think, tiptoe around with this type of information because you have to be sensitive of how people take it. I think people like you and I that talk about this, we automatically have this guard around us because we expect how people are going to react when mm -hmm. we say certain things. We already know they're going to be like, you guys are crazy or, you know, da-da-da-da-da. He didn't have those boundaries. He didn't care about those things. Mm -hmm. He was in the front lines. He was on TV, you know, 16 minutes. I mean, with Bill Nye, like he was out there constantly like, no, let's debate this because I have fact, 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 fact. I'm not afraid of anything you have to say. You know, mainstream media, mainstream scientists, you're all garbage to me pretty much. And I loved that. I loved that he was just like, oh, Stephen Hawking's, yeah, he, he's a part, Hawking, he's a part of this whole cover-up pretty much as well. Their science is stuck in a box and they're lying to you guys about all of this stuff. I love that he was at the front and he wasn't afraid to tell other scientists that they're a part of the problem. Yeah, and that's what I, I, I think respect out of him the most. The fact that he comes from the science community and he, more than anyone, questions the science community, which I think is important. Mm -hmm. And the science community should embrace the questions because if you come from a scientific background, as Neil deGrasse Tyson says, my baby daddy, your curiosity is what sparks you to be a scientist. These kids who ask all these questions when they're young, if you don't nurture that, you know, it doesn't develop. But if you have this kid who's like very inquisitive and wants to know all the answers to everything, those are the kind of people that grow up to be scientists. Then you have these scientists who are grown up, who are stuck in these, whether it be, you know, a lab company or, you know, working for a government contract or something. And all of a sudden you have to stop asking all of those questions that first got you into this. And instead, you're stuck doing scientific work inside of a box. Following guidelines as well. Mm-hmm. They know they can't cross a certain line. Well, and I feel like a lot of these scientists, too, who are, like, deep in this shit, they know they can't get out of it. Like, if they were to ask a question, I think those are the people who know, like, the consequences of asking a question. Mm. So then not only are you there, like, being a drone and doing your whatever scienty job that you have or scientific job that you have, but then you're also stuck. You can't question anything because, like, I mean, look at all the weird shit in the news that we see about these people who you know, are whistleblowers when it comes to the scientific community, especially when it has to involve the government and all of these mysterious suicides and deaths and things that you see. And, you know, if you're a scientist and you see your fellow scientific co-worker asking a question and then the next thing you see, they've, you know, quote, committed suicide, obviously you're going to be like, well, I'm not asking any more fucking questions. Yeah, and that's very huge in the medical mm -hmm. industry. Very big. I mean, oh gosh, that could be a whole episode on its own, but it's the same thing. It's going after solutions and asking more questions and finding different resolutions to things and coming up with new discoveries. They're not able to do that because the mainstream, either if it has to do with just the scientific community, also linking with the government, says that you cannot. And Stanton was very much like, oh, but I will. Do you remember our episode when we talked to John DeSouza? 
Yes. And do you remember how he was talking about the DNA from the alien mummy? Mm, and, right. how, and how it was really hard with the labs mm-hmm. because, you know, either the labs didn't want to touch it or they did look into it but then would have to lie about their findings because they were so terrified of what it would do to either their career or their personal life. Or like the Factor Sci-Fi we had a few weeks back with the DNA from Bigfoot. Although we did say that one is sci-fi, you know, the creators of that site actually say on there, like, well, you know, it's hard with all of these labs and all these things that are happening because no one who's a scientist wants to put their hand in this cookie jar because they're terrified of the ramifications that are going to happen afterwards. And I think that Stanton is a perfect example for all the scientists who are out there. Like, if you just put your foot down and just don't deal with the bullshit, you can get to the bottom of the truth and you can live a very long life. He passed at 84, that's a very long life. This is a man who was working every day, going to conferences, trying to tell this truth out. And like in his fashion, and I think of all fashion of people in this community, you die doing what you're passionate about. He was on his way to a conference and he was in the airport on his way to a lecture. Like this man, this is literally his life and he did it until his dying breath. He also was uh, speaking with George Norrie on his show, I believe, that day prior. He lived a good long life doing everything that he wanted to do and doing it passionately. Well, I know that it broke a lot of hearts in the community with different researchers that knew him very well. Across the board, I think everyone was very sad. Mm-hmm. I imagine there will be some sort of tribute to him when we're at Contact oh, in absolutely. the Desert next week. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll get a better taste for how he was and how he really affected people's lives. But just with what we do know, it it was major. Mm -hmm. It was major for this community. So rest in peace, Stanton Friedman. And thank you for your contribution to this community. Absolutely. Instead of our conscious quote of the day, we're doing a Stanton quote of the day. A Stanton conscious quote of the day. How about that? I like it. There's no doubt in my mind, After 37 years of study and investigation, that the evidence is overwhelming that planet Earth is being visited by intelligently controlled vehicles whose origin is extraterrestrial. There is no acceptable arguments against flying saucer reality. Only people who either haven't studied the relevant data or have a strong will not to believe that Earth is at the bottom of the heap sociologically and technologically in our local galactic neighborhood. All right, Brie, let's slide into our Factor Sci-Fi. So in honor of our fallen alien soldier, our Factor Sci-Fi is right on track with one of the biggest annoyances of the alien research community, SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or as Stanton called it, silly effort to investigate. So we asked the question, is SETI a disinformation campaign from our government? Here's a quote from Stanton himself that I think subs up his thoughts on SETI quite well. Major news media and many members of the scientific community have taken strongly to the radio telescope-based SETI program as eschewed by its charismatic leaders, but not supported by any evidence whatsoever. In turn, perhaps understandably, they feel it necessary to attack the ideas of alien visitors as though they were based on tabloid nonsense instead of evidence that has been provided for SETI. One might hope, vainly I'm afraid, that they would be concerned with the search for extraterrestrial visitors. I would hereby like to challenge the SETI specialists, members of the scientific community, and the media to recognize the overwhelming evidence and scientific consequences of alien visits and to expose the serious deficiencies of the SETI-related claims. I have publicly and privately offered to debate any of them. No takers so far. 
Boom. SETI is an interesting one to me because it's a little bit of an offshoot of NASA, right? The part that sketches me out the most about SETI is not going to be something that you guys would ever imagine it could be. The reason I'm... <laughs> Bree's already laughing. The reason I'm sketched out by SETI is because they're in Mountain View. And it's really no other thing other than that, personally, right off of the bat. Oh my god. They're in sketchy-ass Mountain View. We already know NASA's sketchy-ass is there. Our sketchy-ass listeners are there. Like, what is going on in Mountain View? I just feel like there's this drain of, of disinformation that's, like, swirling in Mountain View, which, like, upsets me because you guys have really good truffles at Alexander's. And it makes me want to go to Mountain View. But then I remember that, like, SETI and NASA's there and people who listen to us that won't tell us who they are. I knew you were going to go with <laughs> no, you, Yeah. So right off the bat, Artie don't like SETI because, you know, where, of where they're located. But on top of that, I also think, like, SETI is a little bit strange to me because isn't that where, like, the wow signal came from? There's a whole movie about it, right? One of Bree's favorites. It's on your top five, is it not? Contact. So I just have a hard time thinking that if they have all these powerful telescopes or listening devices, satellites, or whatever the fuck they use out there to gather this information, that they've come up with, like, nothing. They've obviously come up with at least something, and they're just not telling us. So it makes me think that maybe not necessarily that they're a disinformation campaign, but maybe that they're just a part of the cover-up. Like, what purpose do they really serve? Mm -hmm. Because you're not even really giving us information. Is NASA, is that where NASA scrubs all their photos at? You know what I mean? Like, what is the real purpose of SETI? Because as far as I can see, it's just like people hanging out, listening to white noise, not doing anything. There's many reasons why it wouldn't work as well. We could be looking for a signal that another civilization doesn't even use. In fact, I've heard, oh, I don't know if anyone would be able to find this, but I know I've seen Stanton talk on YouTube. It was a YouTube thing. I think it might have been MUFON about SETI. And he was like comparing it to an extremely old technology that he used to use, but now he doesn't use. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that, you know, he was talking about this at one of his conferences. And even the people that he was speaking to didn't even know what he was talking about. So it's the same thing. Who's to say that they didn't ditch this technology and they're on something completely different and we're not communicating with each other? Or the fact that they have certain guidelines. So when they do detect a signal, they have to go through these different things. But one of those things is like, do we really tell the public? Yeah, that's been a big de debate with SETI. And even some of the SETI people there, I've seen like a few interviews who are there and like, they're all kind of, it's kind of like a mixed bag with them. They're like, we have a protocol. We follow the protocol, and then people would be like, well, do you believe in the protocol? And they're just kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's very, like, a labored, like, they're, like, winking, but, like, not winking. No, like, yeah, but no. Yeah, exactly. So e even some of their, their researchers, the people who come out and speak for them, just seem a little bit, like, sketch and on edge to me. And, you know, I find it very full of ourselves to think that if there is life out there on Earth, that they're just like us and using the same things as us. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, who's to say that they have radios over there? Like, are they, are they also humans? You know what I mean? Like, what if, they're, what if they do things on a way different scale than us and their way of communicating is using smoke signals? That's what I'm saying. It could be either, you know, far advanced or way back, back in time shit, like trying to knock on some rocks to see if some, like, someone can hear across the way. A little. Exactly. And it just goes back to, like, the Brookings report. We know that they investigated whether or not to tell the public if they found proof of other alien civilizations. And the overall consensus was, hell no, they can't handle it. So if we already know that's in place, 
even Eisenhower said that shit. This goes back way back. Eisenhower himself was like, yeah, if we find out aliens are real, we can't fucking tell anyone about it. So it baffles my mind when people are like, oh, the government can't keep secrets. Like, oh, are you joking me? That's like literally the government's one job is to keep secrets. I can guarantee you if they know something, we don't know about it. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the ways in which SETI could be utilized as a disinformation act is to put something in place where people look at these scientists like, look, they're giving all of their efforts to try to find a signal. This is what they do day in and day out. And there's and they, nothing. There's nothing. So it's like, don't worry, guys, we are trying. And it's this continuous statement of nothing yet, but we will for sure soon. Mm-hmm. It's always for sure. In like 20 years, we're going to find them. In 20 years, nothing yet, but there's got to be. In 20 years, it's like we just keep getting led on longer and longer and longer. But that's a continuous statement that they're continuously putting out, SETI and NASA. So I think that we're both going to conclude that we're going to have to fact this one, that they are definitely some sort of a disinformation mm-hmm. campaign. Whether the extreme of it, we're not going to go into. But I will say that I think the information that they give out is not really what's going on there. And just food for thought, Mountain View is just the Silicon Valley. That's where everything goes down. Mm-hmm. So doesn't mean that they're sketchy just because of Mountain View. I don't know, Mountain, the whole Mountain View thing. I was fine with SETI, and then I typed in SETI into Google, and then it told me Mountain View, and I immediately was like, skirt, beep. Does not compute. Yeah, like user error. Broken. User (laughs) error, 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 error. Yeah, I was just like, oh, fuck, here we go with Mountain View. Here's the thing I think that everything is weird synchronicities, right? And I think you think so too. From the beginning of our podcast, have been weirded out that we have so many listeners in Mountain View and that NASA's there. And then now, SETI, if I get one, if if we come across one more Mountain View thing during research, I'm throwing my gloves in and I'm done. I'm done. That's not. I'm going to throw it and be like, I can't do it anymore, Mountain View. I'm over you. But I'm, I'm, if I find one more and it links me back, I'm I'm done with Mountain View. I'm over it. Well, we could eventually talk about AI, and then that would just link you right back to oh, Silicon man. Valley. And anywho. Oh, God. So, fact it. Fact it. And as for our wonderful patrons, not one fucking person said <laughs> yes or no to anything. They just completely ignored it, which is, like, fine. I'm sure you guys are busy right now. Speaking of shout-outs for our Patreons. Shout-outs. Brandy at Fava Fava Life. Destiny at Destiny from Space. At J Plus, the fearless leader of at the Kurt Army. Kurt Army. Matt at Tiller for Riller from TillerForRiller.com. Bobby at Pinball Bobby from at Not For Everyone Podcast. Scotty at Scotty Doodle. Simon at Outroversion. Vanessa at Vanessa Windango. AP at Weather Traditions. Please send her all the love and the light and the prayers that you guys can. She's having a bit of a hard time, so we do ask for your loving thoughts for her. Absolutely. We love you, AP. And last but not least, we have Jan from the Good, the Bad, and the Just Plain Standard podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for our episode. Uh, We're going to contact here, so uh, it might be a little bit before you hear another episode from us because we are leaving in like six or seven days. We will be there next week. So the one thing that we do want to tell you guys is pay attention to our Instagram while we are there. We leave here on the 30th and we'll be coming back June 4th. And between that time, our Instagram is going to be where it's popping. We're going to do like lots of behind the scenes stuff like we did last year. You know, we're going to show you guys what's going on there. We're going to try to be on our phones as much as possible, even though, you know, you usually want the opposite in those kind of situations. (laughs) But we're going to bring it to you guys who aren't going to be able to go there. And then on top of that, 
We also have our wonderful social media manager, Nicole, coming with us, and she's bringing all her camera gear and stuff. And I don't know if you guys know, but she has a really sweet YouTube channel, uh, Nicole Diner on YouTube, and she's gonna do some videos for us. And so we're gonna be posting some videos up on YouTube after we get back from the trip. Absolutely, we're gonna vlog the whole thing. It's gonna be so amazing this year. If you guys wanna get a hold of us, shoot us an email at that one time I was abducted at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at that one time I was abducted. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and all social media platforms. And make sure you guys check out our Patreon if you feel like giving us a dollar a month to help us quit our real life jobs so we could do this full time. <laughs> Patreon.com slash that one time I was abducted by aliens. And then if you guys want, call into our hotline and leave us a message. You could tell us a story. You could just say what's up. You know, whatever's on your mind. Think of us as like your digital alien therapist hotline and just call us with your stories. And the phone number is 408-320-8481. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. We love you all and fuck you Mountain View, California.